You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Jillian Godfrey, Chief People Officer at Storable. Jill, it's, it's great to finally meet you. Uh, we're, we're excited for our chat today and to hear more about some of the exciting things going on at Storable. So welcome to the show. Cool. Thank you, Daniel. So before, before we dive into to our topic today, we're going to throw you a bit of a softball. If you could have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? And it can literally be anything. And I'll, I'll share mine while you're thinking. So I'm a big runner. And I used to run 35, 40 miles a week. I've had to since cut back on that a bit, but, but over the past 10 years, I've tried out probably 15, 20 different types of running shoes. And just here in the past two or three years, I actually found a pair that I love. So I've already gone through three pairs of that same exact shoe. I just keep going to Amazon and buying the same one over and over again. So if I could have an unlimited supply of that same running shoe to last me for the rest of my adult life where I'm capable of exercising, I think that's what it would be. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to have two. The first Mm -hmm. one would be blue jeans because they are my go-to and um, a person can never have enough blue jeans, skinny, although they're going out of vogue. I learned the other day, but never mind. The second, (laughs) the second would be golf balls. So I'm an avid golfer. And I have been known to spray the ball on occasion and golf balls are not necessarily the, 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 the cheapest thing in the world. And so if there was an unlimited supply of golf balls, I would die a happy old lady. I'd be very happy with that. That's a good one. I, uh, I've, I've worn for the past four or five years, the same black jeans mm-hmm. basically every day. I just buy a new pair every few months. So I'm, with, I'm with you having a good pair of jeans and enough of them to where you never need any more. Exactly. I like that. <laughs> so Jill, I, I know you've worked for some amazing companies over your career. Could you give us a quick one to two minutes on, on your story and, and how you've gotten to where you're at today? Yeah, sure. I was lucky enough to start my HR career for a company called Virgin, which you may have heard of. I started working for Virgin Retail in Northern Europe and kind of accidentally fell into HR after working in sort of the retail side of things and was just so fortunate to be mentored by two incredible women who took me under their wing at various times and schooled me in the art and science of HR. And so I worked for Virgin for a long time. I then had the opportunity to transfer with Virgin from from Europe to North America and then made a, a change and a pivot in my career from an industry standpoint, continued to do HR, but started to understand HR in the SaaS world, so software as a service, and was in California for a few years, and I moved to Austin in 2004, where I continued to work in the software land, also spent time actually working for Golfsmith, which was a big golf and tennis retailer headquartered in Austin, worked for them for four years as their head of HR. And that was just beautiful. I was back in retail doing HR and playing golf. It was just what a wonderful combination. Did more technology after that. And then a few years ago, I had the opportunity actually to move down to Miami to practice HR for a big, big company down in Miami and got to practice HR in Asia Pacific and Latin America. 
which was just fascinating and just a wonderful challenge. But after four years in Miami, I don't know if you know Miami, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, but Austin beckoned and Austin said, come home. And so we came home, my husband and I came home to Austin and I started working for Storable in April of 2018. So we're coming up to nearly three years of me working for Storable, all in HR, covering every kind of facet within the HR world. So that's that's the very two minute quick story. I love it. Um, well, uh, welcome back to Austin. I know you've been back for four years, but I might be uh, might be joining you here pretty soon. So Good. Um, <laughs> uh, we're lucky so, to have you. We're lucky to have you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so quickly share with us a little bit more about what Storable does. So, Storable is providing financial management solutions and services um, to the self storage industry. So our aim is to enable storage, self-storage operators to run better businesses. So we're providing the software that runs their financial management systems. We're also providing other products to them, such as payments, which are integrated within our system, insurance for tenants wanting to buy insurance for their storage facilities, websites. We are producing websites for many of those storage operators. And we also have a marketplace where the storage operators can come just like if you were wanting to find a hotel on Expedia, the storage operators are advertising their sites on the marketplace, which is called Sparefoot. And we have a bidding process on marketplace. So we are providing five to six different products all within the self storage industry. Very cool. So, so you've gone from, from Virgin to working in SaaS for a while, then to retail, and now you're back in SaaS, but it feels like the common thread is you've had a career in HR and, and that's what you've done. So I'm just curious, what do, you, what do you love most about HR that's kept you in it for so long? The ecosystem of people and the beautiful things that people can do and how they can surprise you every day and the crazy things that they can do and how they can surprise you every day. And that no day is the same. Um, it really isn't. There's, there's, there's rhythms and routines, obviously, but there's surprises that come at you when you're working in an ecosystem with nearly 500 people, um, you've got 500 lives that are happening and I'm not in control of any of those lives and things happen to those lives. And so it's all about, you know, watching those people flourish and grow um, and knowing that tomorrow may be entirely different from today and a surprise might come and it's a learning opportunity. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's about the difference that comes in HR um, and it's just not predictable. There's, there are, there's some predictability about what we do. Obviously, we go through an open enrollment exercise every year, et cetera, et cetera. But um, 500 people can do things at different times when you weren't expecting it. Um, yeah. So that's one of the things. Well, I love, the, I love the, the example that you gave for why you love working in HR. You know, there is a lot of, of beauty and inspiration in the job, but there's also a lot of really difficult things that we have to deal with. And certainly over the last year, I think it's been extremes of both, like the examples of amazing things that people have done, the perseverance, everything we had to do to come together to just get through 
uh, the pandemic and all of the social unrest and everything that's been happening, you know, I think there've been a lot of great things, but clearly there've been a lot of challenges and, uh, and there's, there hasn't been a dull moment, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And so I want to start by digging in to the topic of psychological safety. Uh, there's been a major shift toward focusing on constructs that historically haven't been, well, in my opinion, they haven't received the attention that they deserve. Things mm -hmm. like, you know, psychological safety, employee well-being, inclusion, belonging, equity. And before COVID hit, I think that there was a shift underway, but these topics have really seemed to be thrust to the forefront of executives' minds in a way that that we haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because I've mentioned to you in a recent, you know, chat that, we, we work with one of the largest employers in Texas, a large regional grocer, and they were walking me through some of the things that they're doing for site safety, psychological safety for their, they call their employees partners. And um, they explain how they have brought Brene Brown, and I'm a huge fanboy of her work, mm -hmm. to, to talk to their employees twice this year. And I, to think like a company, one of the largest employers in Texas, you know, to for this topic to be so important that they that they brought such a marquee person to come speak wow. to the company, that is just like times have changed. And you know, my I, my first question for you is like first, you know, how, what is psychological safety? You know, how how should we be looking at it? You know, it seems like a really broad topic. So I'm curious, you know, how you've defined it and how you guys have worked through this at, at Storable. I think it's a, it's a great question. And if you'd asked me three or four years ago how much attention I was paying to it, I would embarrass myself probably and say, I, I, I don't know if I had it top of mind. Um, and, 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 and here's why. I took it for granted. Why? Because I could see my people. I could give them a high five. I could handshake them. I could get on a plane and I could fly to Raleigh Durham and I could walk into the break room in our hundred person campus up there. And I, I knew how they were doing. I knew it. Fast forward today, I'm not doing that anymore. And so for us, you know, for, for me, it's, and you, th the, 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 you know, the, the, the definition of psychological safety in the workplace is that our employees you know, they have that shared set of beliefs that they're safe, that mm. if they raise their hand, they're not going to be deemed to be foolish. If they push back, they're not going to be deemed to be insubordinate. If they ask a question, they're not deemed to be naive. So it's been vital to us in the last 12 months because this is what we have, right? We have this. Um, we have not yet, as an organization, met any of our employees, again, we are still completely remote um, and our intention is to remain um, that way. And so I need to ensure, and my team needs to ensure that every single, we call our people storyers, that everything, every single storyer every day when they show up is safe to be themselves and to give everything, everything that they have. And I think that what we've learned is that because I'm not walking past them in the corridor anymore and I'm not chewing the fat with them in the kitchen while somebody's making <laughs> coffee, um, what, what we've seen is that it's, it's, 
it's feasible that somebody begins to tell themselves a story and they get into their own head and they start to have a narrative. So we have worked super hard with our managers and our leaders across the org to be present, be here, enable them to be safe, um, to ensure that our people are able to still excel in a virtual world. And, and so do you think that, so is this a function of not no longer being confined to an office space and that having that physical space enabling certain interactions and conversations? Or do you think that it's, it's more than that? I just think that things have really shifted in terms of how leaders and executives are thinking about it. You know, is it, is, I, I know I can see how the physical space, you, we can't have our ear to the ground, as they say, you know, to, to really get a sense, get a pulse on what's going on. Or is, is it just, is that, is that really the primary contributor? Do you think there are other things that have played into why this is such a hot topic right now? I think it's been, I think it's been probably the primary contributor, but I think there are other contributing factors. Um, I think that I took it for granted that when I was in the same space as my people, I could keep my finger on the pulse. And I realized like many, many leaders around the world, right? That gosh, it needs to be different because we're in a virtual environment. I would say another contributing factor, right? Was all of what we saw in the summer of, of 2020 with regards to um, unrest and enormous amounts of intolerance being seen to people around the world, particularly those in, 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 in minority groups. And so what we saw last summer, we, we, we had an outpouring from our people to say, we want to talk about this. We, we want to have this conversation. We want to be able to, at work, with our colleagues, be free to say, we're upset. We're saddened we're empathetic what can we do and at the same time we're stuck in this house and we can't go anywhere and by the way I feel sad and I miss my friends and I miss my colleagues and I can't go to happy hour with them and the world just sucks right now and we have a, a broad demographic in our organization but what we found was that some of our younger folks, they didn't have coping mechanisms. They haven't dealt with this before. They'd never seen so true. this before. And whilst I'm, I'm older than a lot of people in our organization, but I hadn't been through a global pandemic. And so we're learning stuff for the first time as well. But uh, some of our older folks or some of our Gen Xers and our boomers, they're like, at least I've got some coping mechanisms. And our Gen Zers and our Gen Ys are like, I don't know how to do this. And so our role was absolutely to wrap our arms around our people and say, we got you. We got you. You're okay. And enable, and particularly with also what we saw was a lot of our people um, who are younger in the org, who are single, they live on their own. And they were frightened. They were frightened. And it is my role as a leader in HR and our every leader is to go, we got you, 
There's no reason to be frightened here. And so we spent a lot of time talking with our leaders about how to create that psychological safety. What, what did it mean when you open up a conversation on Zoom? How do you do that differently from the way that you would have done it if you'd been sitting in a coffee shop or in an office at work? And we talked about, so start it differently. Ask about the family. Ask about how you're doing. Ask about the damn dog. It's really, really important so that those people don't start to tell that narrative. Um, and the other just really, I think, super important thing I'd say was that, again, because I took it for granted that I could bump into people in an office in a corridor or an airport when we were traveling to places, I could chat and I could take, I could take the pulse, as I said earlier. Well, because I'm not doing that all of the time in a virtual environment, you schedule meetings and I might do meetings with some of my direct reports every two weeks. Well, then two weeks elapses. Well, they can tell themselves a narrative in that time if I'm not careful. And it needs to be a positive one. And if it's not a positive one, it is vital for me to get in front of them on a daily basis, whether that's via Zoom, whether it's Slack, whether it's a call, whether it's a text. And so the energy that we've asked, we've asked our leadership team to amp that energy just massively in order to ensure that our people can go, I don't feel good today, can I talk? Sure you can, absolutely you can. What, what it's meant is that productivity has remained incredibly high. And whilst we know that we want to be together socially because I miss them and I want to be able to go and have a happy hour with them, I can't and, and therefore I have to work much harder at this, much harder. Um, and that's where we focused a ton of energy on leadership training and just dialogue within the organization. It's such an interesting thing. It's so fascinating to me how the, the way that we've changed that we, the way we work, you know, in, in so many ways, things have gotten easier, right? Mm -hmm. No commutes. It's a lot easier to manage your schedule, create time blocks that weren't available in the past, but yet other things that were seem to be like the basics of social interactions are now the things that we work, we have to work hard at. And, uh, and so I, what I love what you're talking about is you, you're kind of sharing with us, you're letting us behind the scenes in terms of like these, these psychological conversations that you're having with, with your leaders about your employees and their struggles were you did you guys have um were you really were you intentional about what the specifics were that you were trying to get out of the the trainings that you're talking about so what were the outcomes that you guys were looking to accomplish by by focusing you know once you've defined psychological safety why it's important to to storable you know then what where did you go from there i think honestly like any hr leader in 2020 or march of 2020 you're like man just figure it out, right? <laughs> like, we all pivoted overnight. And I remember, I remember the first few weeks where my team were, we were meeting every day, maybe twice a day to say, how are people? Are we okay? Have you checked in on this person? I mean, we had literally a spreadsheet as who was the last person that spoke to this person? Um, and chaos reigned because none of us had done this before. And so we, began to breathe a little bit and go, okay, we think we might have this. So now where do we need to get to? We need to keep productivity high. We have to keep people engaged. And if they're frightened, 
or if they're if they're if they don't have any kind of pattern recognition we got to show them that there's a path where's the path i don't know create the damn path so we had many of those conversations but i think where we were fortunate storable um because of chuck who's our ceo because of chuck's commitment to people um chuck had allowed myself and sam baber who's our senior director of talent at storable we developed a program a couple of years ago called leadership energy um and sam and i between us have got models for everything and we've been doing leadership training for a long time and sam and i two years ago introduced leadership energy to storable and we talked about we we talked a lot about the authentic leader and mindfulness so we do a 360 mm. with our leaders before they start the program and we have different components where we're rating them or they get feedback on and one of them is mindfulness and authenticity and so i think that we had maybe a little bit of a jump start because this requires authenticity and mindfulness mm -hmm. absolutely I think that we felt that our managers were on good footing, but then they were looking to us to say, okay, now what? And so where we wanted to get to, I think it was about trying to create as much rhythm and routine as we possibly could in a virtual world. So one of the things that we did in HR was we, um, we had two we had two offices, we have more than two, but we had two offices in 2020 where the leases were ending at the end of the year and we took the opportunity to not renew the leases. As a result of that, we pivoted a couple of people who were working within HR, but they were office managers. That was their primary responsibility. We created new roles. So we created an engagement specialist role. That person's role today uh, and since May or June of last year has been to, all right, every day she gets up, she engages our storyers every day, whether we're playing wow. games, whether she's organizing for them to go Irish dancing virtually, which she did last St. Patrick's Day. Um, there's probably a cheesecake class happening at some point this afternoon. Um, I think it was trying to create- So you pivoted the role of the office manager who, you know, meant, you know, it's not uncommon for them to be kind of the culture driver yes. for yeah. the, the office. You pivoted them into a, a, a virtual engagement specialist, specialist of sorts. For the enterprise. And so previously uh, we had offices around the country and our office managers were dedicated obviously to a site. Our HR business partners were dedicated to a site. Well, all of a sudden we're site agnostic because we're Zoom. And so we pivoted our office manager, one of our office managers to the engagement specialist. We pivoted the other office manager into basically a talent acquisition specialist and the face of onboarding and for new hires. So uh, Sophia um, in Kansas City became the face to candidates and to new hires. Um, and we, we changed our HR business partners from being site specific to being departmental specific. And they now cover the enterprise. So regardless of where you sit, if you are in engineering, your HR business partner is Shannon. Shannon can talk to me about engineering across our org, regardless of whether they are in St. George, Utah, Westwood, Kansas City, Austin, Texas, or wherever they might be. And Zoom became the great equalizer. So our corporate office previously is, was in Austin, Texas. 
And because our business has grown through acquisition, more acquisition as opposed to organic, we have many different offices and different cultures. Um, and there was perhaps a perception that folks in Austin may be treated differently because that's where the C-suite was, et cetera, et cetera. And when we were doing calls um, in prior lives in the offices, most people or a lot of the people would be in Austin, other people are on Zoom. They clearly don't get the same experience because we've got some people in a room, some people on Zoom. That's all gone. It's all gone. And I would tell you today that I think the relationships are much, much better because I don't know where you are and I don't care where you are. I care that I can see you. That's all I care about. And, and this is a pattern that we're hearing <laughs> from the companies that are really progressive and getting it, that got ahead really came to terms with the the way the way things you know, the way things were not working you transformed your hr organization to realign with a new way and and you also created a sense of equity and that's how it's been described in, by prior guests a sense of of equity between groups that were disparate groups that were i guess separated by physical locations and by removing that this equalizer, the Zoom being the equalizer, you you created an even playing field for your people. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a conversation yesterday with one of our more junior managers who um, she said she was struggling. She said she felt that some of her relationships had degraded since we'd been remote. And I said, why? She said, well, you know, I used to sit next to him and I could chat and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, how do you, when do you meet with him now? And she said, well, we do a regular departmental meeting. And I said, do you do this, just you and him? And she said, no. And I said, you have to do it. And so then I asked her the question because I meet with her every month to do some mentoring. And I said, Steph, how do you feel about our relationship now? I said, has it degraded? And she said, no. I said, because of this, we have committed to do this every month and we continue to make deposits in our shared, I call it the trust bank, people at Storable laugh because they're like, oh, she's off talking about the trust bank again. But the trust bank, I talk about that. I have to have an account of trust with people and I make deposits into that account and our relationship continues to grow and flourish. I also from time to time might make a withdrawal because I mess up or I say something I shouldn't have done or I don't hold firm on a commitment and I make a withdrawal, but I never close the account right? Because if I close the account, I've given up on you. So we always, we talk a lot of storyable about deposits and withdrawals and having to have an account with people. And that to me is a relationship account. And I said, Steph, you've got to, you've got to get these meetings in the calendar. And I look at my calendar some days and it's like, boom, 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 like all of us all over the world. Right. It's but, it's like, yeah. it's, but it's, you got to turn up, you got to be present and I can't rely on anybody else because there ain't no one else in the room apart from the dog. And there is nobody else in the room who's gonna manage the energy, right? I gotta bring my whole self in order to get the best. And we, we've, we've just worked really hard with our leaders on, on, on doing that. And some of them have done beautifully, others have said help. So we do regular lunch and learns and continue with our leadership energy program as well to help them with that. And what I was about to ask, when you say you've worked hard with your leaders, like what exactly did, did that entail? Was it 
specific training? Was it revisiting some of the mindfulness work, uh, the manager energy work that you were talking about earlier? What, 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 what was included in that process? Like a thousand things. <laughs> right because there's lots of them right yeah and so they don't all need the same thing so each of them um has an hr business partner that they uh can talk to at any point they also have me they have sam who is our kind of um head coach if you like um they have jonathan who's our head of hr operations who's also acts as head coach and he runs all things field operations we did everything from you need a one-on-one, you want some additional coaching because you're struggling. We um, put in place manager training for our more junior managers um, to help them continue to have crucial conversations over Zoom, right? I remember when we first pivoted and Chuck said to me at one point, what if we, what if we have to say goodbye to somebody in this environment? I'm like, eh, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. And Today, 12 months on, we have said goodbye to some people and we've we've done it with grace and with dignity. And there will be no horror stories coming out of our organization about how we exited people because we we've said to all of our managers, this psychological safety extends to candidates, to them being brought on board as new hires, to them being ramped, to them being with us for four years. And when they graduate, we call it graduation. We don't call it leaving. We feel it's time for people to graduate. Um, So we've done lunch and learns. We've done manager training sessions. We've created community groups in Slack. We've created community groups that can just come together when they want to of an afternoon to talk about a subject. We've created communities that people can belong to where they can feel safe. Some of those are led by HR and some of them aren't. Some of them are much more organic. Um, I so think- it sounds like you embedded this notion of psychological safety in in the entire employee experience, the life cycle. And you didn't stop there. You also looked at the individual contributor level and the manager level and the leader level. So you did like a top down, you know, side to side, bottoms up approach. And, and it feels like this is just part of your cultural fabric now. Like so. this isn't. I hope so. Yeah. I think that we have, it's, I, I would say it's in our DNA now. Are we doing it as well as we could? No. Are we doing it as well as anybody else? Probably not. I'm sure there are people doing a thousand things better than we're doing. But uh, the, I think Stephen, the example I, you know, I, I talked to you about the other day, we wind the clock back 12 months before we'd gone remote and we did, as you know, our annual engagement survey and we look at our ENPS score. And at that time, our ENPS score was 22. And that to me at that point still was pretty darn good because we had lots of companies, right? And we'd mush them all together and some of them liked us and some of them didn't and some of them are more cynical or skeptical. And then, as you know, we just completed the last one in November, December, and our new ENPS score is 41. And I looked at that and I'm like, we're doing some good, good things. Um, And we have surveyed our people again and again and again, not just on the annual basis, but how are you doing? What do you need? What did we forget? Um, What are we missing? Um, What should we be doing differently? And they're, they're telling us that they feel safe. And I know that by looking at certain metrics like voluntary attrition. I know that by talking with them. I know that when the snow 
apocalypse hit Austin, Texas, that what we said to them was, I don't care about work right now. I care about the fact that you don't have water. You don't have heat. I don't care that you're not working. And we told them, don't. We said, unplug. And if you've got power, unplug it anyway, because your neighbor may not. And I had, um, I had a Slack conversation with one of our people a couple of weeks later who um, has friends who are also in the same situation working for other employers. And she said, thank you for making us feel safe because you put us first. Like, I don't... I, I just want to jump in, Jill, and say yeah. that, that the work that Storable is doing, it, it sounds far beyond what other companies are doing. I was actually just having a catch up with one of my best friends yesterday and he he works for this company in LA and obviously rent is really expensive there so he decided he was going to cancel his lease and go live abroad for 7 8 months save money see the world and it was funny he was he was talking to me about how he um you know had been telling him he had created this narrative in his head for the past few months that if he brought up the notion of him never going back to the office or staying living abroad, that he might get this backlash or potentially get let go from his company. And I think it all goes back to the psychological safety that you've been able to create at Storable. And he said that he finally had the conversation with his boss's boss. And he was like, you've been doing an amazing job for us. I don't know why you were afraid to, to bring this up. And he was like, well, I don't know, you know, the, the communication out to the company was sort of vague. So I didn't know if it was okay for me to even broach this, this subject. So I, I think it just goes to show how important it is to embed that idea of psychological safety throughout the employee experience. I've never heard anybody break it down the way that you've just broken it down, how you've embedded it with candidates, how you're doing it with new hires, how you're doing it you know, with people all the way through until they've left the company and graduated. By the way, I love how you call it graduation. So I just wanted to give you kudos because it sounds like y'all are doing a lot of great work and y'all are on the right track. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. We got still a ton to do always, right? But thank you. I, I appreciate that very much. And so the, the in, in, in addition to all of that, you also have mechanisms in place to measure you know, progress over time. So you you also have a, a way of understanding like if things change or if things start to slip or if managers need, you know, a refresher training, you have a way of looking at that. And so I guess before I hand over to Daniel, you know, what, what were the biggest surprises that you had? I mean, are there any kind of, you know, lessons learned having looking back uh, it, I don't know if it's too soon to do that, but is there anything that, that jumps out just for the people that are, are embarking or working through something similar with their companies? You know, what, uh, what advice do you have? That now's your time, right? As an HR leader, now's your time to say, I have an idea and we got this. And if we are to create an environment where our people can continue to do brilliant, brilliant work in a virtual setting, the person that has to be most conscious of that has to be an HR leader. And if ever there was a time for an HR leader to find their voice and have their you know, seat at the table, 
which I know certainly when I was growing up in HR, it was a phrase that was used a lot, right? Always, yeah. Always. Well, you got it. Here it is, because your CEO's got some other stuff he or she needs to be thinking about. Your chief operating officer's got some other stuff that he or she needs to be thinking about. It is incumbent, I think, on anybody in HR right now to go, how do I predict what comes next? How do I help the rest of our management team and our organization walk down this path behind me? And I say behind me because it is up to HR to say, what does this future look like? Um, So the advice is, gosh, if ever you wanted to find your voice and you were like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, you know, HR used to report through to the CFO, as it always did, now's the time to say, I got this, I got the plan, I can architect this for you. Because I think that CEOs are asking you implicitly or otherwise. Not only are they asking, they need it. Like they they absolutely need this. They need, and they need an HR person to go, I gotcha, I gotcha boss. And it's funny, I think one of the things I remember when we decided to pivot, and then it was to not renew a couple of leases which two years ago would have been an enormous decision. I always, I keep thinking about the big decisions and how they seem to have gotten smaller because the decisions that we had to make at the start were the gigantic ones, right? And so every decision I compare to that one, I'm like, it's okay. It's just a change curve or it's just, we'll get through it. And so I think, um, I also think that from a, from an HR standpoint, from a leadership position in HR, um, you've got the opportunity to make some great decisions and flex your leadership muscle, right? And be the leader to the other C-suites and your vice presidents, because actually you're being given more opportunities than most, in my opinion. That's certainly been my experience anyway. Yeah, Me people too. are looking towards you. So Jill, <laughs> so Storable has invested all of this time and energy into psychological safety. And it sounds like you're seeing some some really good results from that. You've had an increase in ENPS, voluntary uh, attrition is in a good spot. And again, you've talked about how you've embedded this idea of psychological safety across the employee life cycle from, from candidate to exit, which I, I find very unique. I haven't heard that anywhere else. And I guess what immediately came to mind for me, especially when you when you think about candidates and people that are leaving your company, is employer brand. And this is something that we've talked about a lot with our guests and just how important it is. So do you do you think that the idea of focusing in on psychological safety has has strengthened your employer brand? I do. Um But we've also been very deliberate about focusing on our employer brand um, in the last 12 months. Um, It was March, no, February or March of this time last year, we had, it was February, we had a a, uh, conference with our leadership team, about 60 people, and we gathered in Austin, Texas. And we gathered, and I'm on a stage, and I'm talking about the employee value proposition, which we're just about to launch. And I think I'd heard the word COVID at that point, but I wasn't, none of us were really paying that much attention. Fast forward two weeks, launching the employee value proposition probably took a back seat to, oh my goodness, get them home, get them safe, get them working, get them productive, etc. And so we knew that we had to do a lot of work on our EVP because, as I said earlier, our business has grown through acquisition. And so um, 
we hadn't come out there and said, this is who we are, because I guess it took us a little while to figure out who we were. We'd actually launched our actual brand, Storable, back in, um, in April of 2019. And we're still putting lots of businesses together. And so it took us a little while to figure out who are we? What does it take? What, what are the values and the behaviors that we're looking for for somebody to be successful um, at Storable? And how do we want to repay that when we see those values and behaviors? So we spent a lot of time talking about what it was um, to be a storier. And, and we chose the name deliberately, right? We had a contest for what should we be called? And I know lots of companies call their employees something and we wanted to do the same because we wanted them to feel like they were banding together without it, without it being a cult. Um, <laughs> and so we coined the term storyers. So our people are called storyers and there's a reason for it, right? And that's a lot to do with fighting spirit and being warriors and all that kind of stuff. So we did a couple of things. We talked about the way of the storyer and what was that? And so myself and all kudos here goes to Jonathan Lewis, who's senior director of HR at Storable, who is a superstar and thinks about HR, again, from an art and science perspective. Um, and Jonathan and I would sit in my office and we'd talk about what's a story, what's the way of the story? And we talked about wisdom and we talked about, um, we talked about philosophy and we talked about the behaviors and the kindness and the respect that we wanted to see. So we did that first. And then we started to talk about, okay, so what's the EVP? What is it? And we finally landed on do more, be more. We had already coined the phrase do more at, at Storable. Like we can always do more. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't to imply that you can never do enough. It wasn't that. It was, but we can always do more. And so we then talked about, well, if you do more, what if you could be more? And so that morphed into, tell us who you are. Well, I'm an engineer. Well, you're not just an engineer. What else are you? Well, I'm a dad. Okay, cool. Oh, and I coach soccer and I play the guitar. Sweet. So what if we could help you be a better dad or a better soccer coach or a better guitar player? And so we came up with something which is, we didn't come up with it. It's called Bucket List and it's a product out there and we created Bucket List and we said to people, why don't you list what you want to be in Bucket List? So for example, Jill wants to play golf at Cape Kidnappers in New Zealand. So it's listed on Bucket List. If you do more, we have store bills that get awarded to people and it's through recognizing great work by doing more. It's about great behaviors, it's about great teamwork. It's about being a good person in the workplace. And people are awarded store bills. And sometimes that might be a couple of bills here or there. It could be 250 on a monthly basis. It might be $1,000 if you get the quarterly award. And slowly but surely, you can see people checking things off a bucket list. And it is incredible because we're getting to know the person more, right? So we understand who they are, what motivates them, you know, what they want to, to do and be outside of work. And we're allowing them 
to be the better dad or to we're enabling them to go go buy that Peloton bike that you wanted because guess what you can now afford it because you just got awarded with these store bills and you've done more we're going to enable you to be a better athlete and so I think it's evolved into recognizing you Daniel as Daniel not just Daniel the engineer I know you have a role to play and you're going to do great. And in return, I'm going to pay you every two weeks. Right. But that's, that's table stakes. I, I love how you're making the employer brand, not about storable. It's about the people that work there mm-hmm. and whatever it is on their bucket list that they want to do, you're going to help them do more and be more and check off everything on that bucket list. I had never really thought about it in that way. I feel like a lot of times, when people talk about employer brand, it's, it's never really focused on the individual. It's more so focused on the broader company and like a set of values. But I love how you've been able to tap into what people at your company are passionate about, not just in their job, but like you said, their dads, they, people like to play the guitar, they're coaching soccer on the weekends. And if you can help them be better at that, then, then you will. And I feel like that's so unique. Um, but yeah, yeah the, the so storier cool. way is is employee centric. Right? Yeah, it it's yeah. comes back to the individual. So, so how do you how do you get that message out? So that's a really strong employer brand. Like if I, if if you know if I saw that somewhere, if I saw a story about one of the the storiers and how they were able to check off all of these things on their bucket list and eventually you know get something amazing out of it, me Daniel. I seeing that I'm like, oh, I want to work for Storable one day. Like that's a company I want to go work for. So how do you how do you sort of broad broadcast that out that that that's what your culture is about? Um, a couple of different ways, but but the biggest way is by partnering with LinkedIn. Um, um, at the start of 2020, we had a thousand followers on LinkedIn, people didn't even know who we were, right? Because we were Sparefoot, we were Red Nova Labs, we were SiteLink, we were Easy Self Storage and we were, we were StoreSmart. And then we created one brand called Storable. Well, who's that? Nobody had ever heard of us. So we had a thousand followers on LinkedIn and one of our wonderful, wonderful uh, women in the HR team by the name of Kayla Gibbons said, I'm gonna set myself a target. I go, what's the target? She said, we're gonna have 10,000 followers on LinkedIn by the end of the year. I go, you got no money to spend. She's like, no, I got it. I got no money to spend. She said, but we do have a brilliant creative team. I said, we do. And Kayla set a path along with Sophia and other people in our marketing organization, another woman called Amy. And we began to tell the story on LinkedIn. And we will post regularly what's going on in the business. Like, for example, a couple of weeks ago, we hosted on International Women's Day um, a forum for women and men, um, but for women to talk about who they were, some of the challenges that they faced. Well, we post that and we, we share the stories. We share the story of stories. Um, and we encouraged our people to do the same. We have a brilliant very small group of talent acquisition people in our our team called Veronica and Zach who report to Sam and Veronica and Zach tell the stories to the candidates and the candidates start to go oh that's interesting I've never heard of these guys before and what's interesting like many organizations I'm sure in the SMB markets I can't pay as much as some folks I just can't because we're in the small to medium business and we're not 
um, our, our, our pockets aren't as deep as perhaps some other organizations. So you know what? I got to be able to tell a really good, compelling story. There has to be more, right? And so I want, when people look at LinkedIn or they look at our storable.com and they look at the jobs there, what they want to get a sense of is, okay, here's the engineering job that pays X. Oh, but look, they love dogs. Yeah, everybody loves dogs. It's all about dogs. But, <laughs> but hang on, look, they have this thing called bucket list. Look at what they did the other day. Look at the stories that the storyers are telling. And we, we want to create that for candidates so that we our stories out there and they, they, they feel compelled to talk to us. The second contributing factor is when they start to talk to us, right? They start to talk to this talent acquisition team who will land the biggest fish with the tiniest hook because they're so passionate about getting great people into storable. Then they start to talk to the hiring teams who welcome them with open arms into our environment. Then assuming they get hired, then they meet Sophia who takes them on the story of journey. Um, and we don't lose many people, but when we do, we never want it to be a surprise. And it sometimes it is, of course, right? But we ask people to tell us if they wanna go. Um, one, of the things, one of the things I always wanna do for people is I wanna create psychological safety so that when they think they want to go, I want to coach them, right? If they want to go, I want to give them advice about where do you want to go? Where's going to be the right place for you? Because I understand the chapter may be over at Storable and I get that. But don't just run to the first place that says, here's the next, next paycheck. Let's help you with this. And that's why we call it graduation, because I get you don't want to stay anywhere forever. Totally get that. And again, we're about 500 employees, so the organization is relatively flat. So upward trajectory for some of mm -hmm. our more ambitious folks may be somewhat limited. And so, of course, they want to go elsewhere. But let me help you be brilliant in the next chapter as well. I, I love that. I, I was actually reading, I read a book recently called uh, Redefining HR. And in there, there's this quote. I can't remember who the quote was from, but it essentially said, if, if you if you make everything you do at your company about the employee and employee centric, you'll have raving fans for life when they're, when they, when they tell you they're ready to move on to their next opportunity and you help them find that next opportunity, you don't know how much goodwill you're going to get back from that person. And who knows, they might be a boomerang and come back five years later. Absolutely. And, and by the way, in those five years that they're gone, they're going to be telling everyone that they know that storable is this amazing company that they're working for. And, and one other thing I wanted to point out, I think that I think that more than ever, I think with everything being commoditized, that you really have to be a really good storyteller because people are making decisions off of off of emotion and then justifying with logic. So as if, if you're storable and you're telling this, you know, really compelling, amazing story, and then that's that's like the lead into the company, and then they do their research and like, oh, they have all these amazing roles you know, check, they, they offer great compensation, check, it's in a city I want to be in, check, or they're letting me work virtually, check. It just makes everything so much easier. Sure. Um, how did, how did y'all get to that? Was this, was this something that you were very deliberate about? Yeah, I remember Charlie, who's our, um, Charlie's our president. Charlie's like, you know, people need a higher purpose. And where is this EVP? What is this EVP going to do? And 
talked at length about what that EVP should look like and sound like and smell like and feel like. And so I took Charlie's feedback and Chuck's feedback and our other C-suite back to my group and said, we've got to tell a story. We've got to, we've got to find another reason because we're not, we're not there yet. And I'm just lucky. I have a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant team of HR professionals who care, who want to be in a world-class team, in a world-class business where people remember how we made them feel, right? No, I'm going to quote a famous quote by Maya Angelou, right? They won't remember what Jill said or what Jonathan did. But I know that when they get up for work on Monday morning, I know they're not always running towards the laptop, delighted to be working on a Monday morning, but they're going to feel safe. They're going to laugh during the week. They're going to do good work during the week. They may get recognized in bucket lists during the week. They're going to see Chuck do his um, his his weekly video. Um, they're going to feel like they belong. And because we've created that stickiness, the likelihood of them wanting to graduate or graduate too soon starts to diminish. You know, I call it the 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 you know, I want to create the beehive, right? I want them to come and then I want them to stick and I don't want them to go like anywhere. That. And that's what we're trying to do is create that real stickiness. And the interesting thing about, uh, if you look on storable.com, some, you know, but if you look at the, the logo, it is the beehive. It is the hexagon. And oh, we, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We do a lot I of stuff in that as well. Yeah. Well, and I think that when it's purpose driven and it's authentic and it feels authentic because you're telling, you're hearing it through the stories and stories are being told throughout the organization. The CEO's telling it, Jonathan's telling it, like everyone, all the people, the engineers are telling the stories and they don't even want to, you know, tell stories. And so you, everyone is just like sharing. It's no, it's a no BS. It it's, doesn't feel like bullshit. And with a lot of other companies, it just feels like bullshit. Like they're just saying the things they need it to feels say contrived. to you. It yeah. feels contrived. Yeah. 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 And, and when it, when it feels real and authentic to loop this back, it feels safe. It feels safe. It feels like psychologically, this is the place. I, I love it here and I want to come back and I want to bring my best work. And so I, I wanted to bring it. That's, that's the way of me get, bringing it back to a wrap. I, I knew this was going to happen, Jill. I knew an hour was just going to fly by. It's, it's just always so amazing to, to talk to you. And, um, and so we're, it's just been a thrill to have you. I, I've loved this conversation before we let you drop. There are just a couple more questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, so with your HR practitioner hat on, we, we really want this, this modern people leader podcast to be something where the content is driven by our guests, by our audience, by what we hear in our LinkedIn channels. And so that's the spirit of my next question. What is something that you would love to learn from future guests that we have on? Is there anything that you're trying to crack the code on or any kind of next level thing that um, within kind of the HR people space, you know, what is really, what really gets you excited right now? I think, um, you know, I used the, uh, uh, the word with you the other day about pioneers. Like we've got a year's experience of doing this, right? And there are people out there in similar positions who've been doing this forever um, because they've always been remote. And so I'd like them to bring their crystal ball and say, here it is. 
And I go, oh, thank you. I can already see it. I don't need to fall over and make the mistake because you've already done it for me kind of thing. So there's something there for me around people who've been doing this for a lot longer and what has been sustainable. Um, and then the other piece that we were talking about all the time with regard to um, continuing to be in a virtual world. If I say to somebody, it's okay for you to move and go work wherever, should I adjust their salary or not? Should I say, because you choose to move here, I'm going to pay you less? And I think the answer is no. I do, but I can't prove that yet. I'd love to know other people's, I'd like to hear advice from others who've done that before as to why have you kept it the same? Or if you adjusted for the cost of living, why did you do it? And what was the return? And what was the result that you got? Because I'm not persuaded. I don't know the answer. I'd love to love to share that one. I would, I would too. And I, I can share as an observer, because my girlfriend moved from, she's, you know, has an IO psychology background. She's in the talent management space and she moved her company, allowed her to move from San Jose to Austin. And I know I can observe in her experience what happened and like how she remained motivated. Like they, they, they really nailed it. And so I think that would be, both of those would be awesome topics. And so Daniel, I hope you took, took note of both of those. The last question yeah. I have is um, who's the most interesting person in HR that you've ever worked with? Someone that you totally admire that if we had to have them, a single person on this show from your network, who would that be? You'd have to go a long way to persuade her. And it's somebody that doesn't practice HR anymore, but I learned some of my craft from a woman called Annie Witcher. She's based in England. Um, she doesn't do HR anymore. And again, I don't know whether we could persuade her to talk, but it's not even so much about HR, it's about relationships and how you build them and how you predict the good, the bad, how you find your voice. Um, and I say her because she was one of the women who mentored me when I knew nothing about nothing. Um, and she took me under her wing and she enabled me to learn the art, not the science necessarily of HR, but the art. And it wasn't HR, it was the art of life. And so if there were a time where we could persuade Annie, who is in the South of England somewhere, probably on a farm, um, we could try because she is, a wonderful person that could spread some pearls of wisdom, I know. Well, we will see. We would, it would be an honor to have her, and it's been an absolute honor to have you, Jill. So thank you so much thank for your you. time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you.